0: good morning once again church family Um, always good to to be together always good to go to the word together which is uh, what we're going to transition to now in this part of our service Um, perhaps my favorite part uh, not necessarily the the best part but um, but definitely perhaps my favorite and and I think the reason is because there's something tangible um, about God's word Um, being able to to see it to read it, to interact with it, to, to share it, you can um, memorize it um, in ways that are, are unique and powerful and helpful. And that's really been the heart behind the series that we've been in for the last few weeks, is talking about this book, which is so much more than a book. Um, it is God's very word uh, to us. And so the series has been titled, What is the Bible? And essentially what we've been doing is looking at the different characteristics of God's Word. And so just a very, very brief recap. Um, The first week, the question we asked was, is the Bible true? Um, Which is a question that we learned is one that's not just like a nice thing to know, um, but it's actually important. We talked about how God is honored when we don't just blindly trust His Word, but when we have good reason for surrendering our whole lives to it, which He gives us um, in His Word. Uh, His Word attests to its own uh, divinity, uh, which we spent a whole week talking about. And then last week we kind of asked the question, is the Bible authoritative? Um, and if it is authoritative, to what degree? And so we talked about what we mean by authority. We talked about the ways in which the Bible is authoritative, which is uh, totally and fully in terms of overall people, in terms of overall matters, uh, in terms of there being nothing beyond this book, right? This is it. There's no standard beyond it. Beyond it. it is It is the ultimate authoritative word and message for believers, and really for for even non-believers. They may not know that, but it still holds authority over them as well. And so so we've seen that the Bible is true. Uh, We've seen that the Bible is authoritative. And today what we're going to look at is, um, is the Bible necessary? Is the Bible needed? Is the question we're going to look at. And and just to give you a scope of the rest of this series, um, we've got today And then we've got uh, next week, we're actually going to break from this study to do um, our kids' curriculum, as the kids will be a part of the service as well for Family Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, the first Sunday in February, we'll conclude this study um, by looking at the sufficiency of Scripture. Uh, But today is um, all about the necessity of the Bible. and So we're going to dig into that, but first let's pray um, and just ask God to clearly reveal um, His Word to us. And then we'll dig in together. God, we love you. And um, just as always, God, grateful to be able to interact with your word freely. Um, I thank you that it's not confusing, um, that it's clear, and that we can freely read it um, and know that we're interacting with your very presence. And so I pray, God, that as we do that this morning, um, that you would reveal yourself to us. Um, not my words, not, uh, not anything else, um, but just your words spoken over your people here this morning in a way that transforms our lives for some in here perhaps the first time um, and for others continually day by day uh, growing closer to you. So Lord, we are just excited um, to see how you and hear how you reveal yourself to us through your word this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to um, just kind of clarify for a moment um, one, why we're talking about this topic um, and how this topic is unique from the last two weeks. Because in reality, when you look at the truthfulness of Scripture, the author- authoritative, the authority of Scripture, that's the word, the, um, the necessity of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture, they all kind of blend together a little bit. There's an overlap in all of them, um, but at the same time, there's uniqueness to all of them, meaning if you take one of them out, then you don't have the, the power that, that God intends to be behind his words contained in this book. And so they're all important words, um, but there is some overlap. So I want to try to offer an illustration, I think, can explain why today's um, topic on the, the necessity of Scripture, why it's needed for people, and in what ways it's needed for people, which we'll dig into um, why it's a unique topic from what we've talked about the last two weeks. So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine um, that you have been given a new job. Um, you're working for a business or an organ, a company, we'll say. Um, you can imagine whatever company you want to imagine in your mind, uh, but you're coming in at the most entry-level position you could possibly come into, and your goal is to advance or get promoted, we'll, we'll, we'll call it. Um, and, and the way we, we're symbolizing that in the Christian faith is that for Christians, our hope is that we get, you know, promoted, which is probably not the best word, but um, to an eternal state of being face-to-face with God the Father, right? And we know that's not to our own doing at all, um, but for the sake of this illustration, right, you're an entry-level worker, you're coming into a new business, and you're hoping for that promotion, right, to get to that next level. And, um, and, and a part of that is your, your boss or whoever's ahead of you gives you a, a handbook, I used a similar illustration last week, Um, but the handbook, we'll call it a handbook that is perfectly true, right? Everything in it is true. There's no lies, there's no deception. Everything in it very accurately communicates uh, who the business is, uh, how to to succeed in the business, right? It's it's just true, right? It's, It's a true handbook that represents and reflects the business well and what the business is trying to do well. And then we could also say that this handbook is not just that it's true, um, but it's also uh, the authority of the company, right? It it has disciplinary actions in it, right? And it's for all employees over all business matters. So it's totally authoritative over the scope of your new job, right? Now we can say both those things, right? And both those things can be true, um, but at the same time, that doesn't necessarily mean that the book is needed right? There could be different ways that you do well in your job, uh, despite the fact that it's true and authoritative, right? It doesn't mean that you're not adhering to its truthfulness and authority, but you could maybe do so without the book, right? You could either watch maybe a seasoned employee um, who seems to be doing it well and just kind of copy or mimic their actions, right? Perhaps you just work really hard. You get there early uh, and and you kind of hope that your good outweighs the bad, right? And over the course of your life, it or co- course of your career, it kind of does, and so you get to the point where they promote you, or, or perhaps you find a different handbook, right? Maybe this company's been around for, let's say, thousands of years, um, but early on, the company's existence say that it had a little split-off, right? And so a new company was formed, and, and a new author of a new handbook um, came out, and you chose to adhere to that one, um, and you somehow managed to find some outward success, and you get promoted that way, right? There might be other avenues, is the point. Um, And so in that example, you can see how there's a difference between uh, its truthfulness, its authority, and its necessity. And what we're saying about scripture is that it's not just perfectly true, it's not just totally and completely authoritative, but it's also absolutely necessary, meaning you cannot Um, be who God wants you to be apart from his word. I'm going to talk a lot more about what I mean by uh, necessity and what it's necessary for in just a few moments. Um, But for now, I want us to know that the Bible is completely true, totally authoritative, and what we're going to see today is absolutely necessary. And the reason that's significant is because that is not at all what our world teaches. Um, And it's not at all what kind of the pressures on Christianity teach either. Um, To give you an example, there's kind of been some some new schools of thought that have started to infiltrate and overlap with the Christian belief system that doesn't say that the Bible or that says that the Bible's not totally needed or not completely necessary. Let me just run through a few of them with you. Uh, Perhaps the most popular belief system today that many Christians, I believe, actually would adhere to uh, in an unbiblical way, but it's called universalism. Universalism says that all people who ever lived will be saved because God loves everyone and won't judge anyone, right? I think the reason that's so popular today is because it sounds nice and it doesn't offend anybody, right? It includes everybody, universalism. There's also what's called religious pluralism. Religious pluralism says that all sincere religious people from all religions will be saved because all religions are just different paths to the same God. Right? Perhaps you've seen the bumper sticker, the coexist bumper sticker. right? It says all, basically all religions point to the same God, and that's not at all what we believe. Uh, it's, it's, it's heresy to what the Bible teaches. Thirdly, uh, there's a belief system called inclusivism. Again, sounds nice, inclusivism. It uh, says that people can only be saved through the redeeming word of Christ, but all people who ever lived will still be saved because after they die they will find out they were saved by Christ's word, even people who never heard of him or believed in him, meaning that they may not be saved here on earth, but after they die they will then be made aware of the saving work of Jesus. There's also what's called annihilationism. Um, People is the thought that people who have not believed in Christ will not be saved But after they die, they will not be punished either because they'll be annihilated and cease to exist. So it basically removes hell as as a a taught reality from the Bible. And then lastly, there's a view called post-mortem evangelism. And it says this, that after unbelievers die, they will be given another opportunity to trust in Christ. And most or all of them will be saved in this way. And these, might, these words might not sound familiar to you, you know, universalism, religious pluralism, inclusivism, um, but perhaps you know people that kind of have these thoughts or these belief systems that, all oh, God's too good to, to send people to hell and so, so really all people are going to be saved, right? Or, or it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you, you know, believe something and that all religions point to the same God, right? Those are, those are new belief systems that have arisen in our world today that is that says the opposite of what we're saying today. And that's why what we're saying today is so important that the Bible is necessary. The biblical view would be called exclusivism, which is that only those who have heard of Christ and trusted in him will be saved. And that's not a popular view because it does exclude all other religions, it excludes all other uh, belief systems, and says that it's either this book or nothing, which is what we're seeing today. And so if this view is true, which we'll show that it is in just a moment, then the Bible is absolutely necessary. um, And without it, there are eternal consequences. Now, let me go ahead and kind of sum all that up with the main takeaway point for this morning, and then we'll kind of break it down from there. But the main takeaway point is this. Only by God's word... Can the, can the non-believer know salvation and the believer live it out with absolute clarity? And so only by God's word can the non-believer know salvation and the believer live it out and do so with absolute clarity. And so here's how we're going to look at this, kind of break down this main point. First, we're going to look at what Scripture says is not necessary or what Scripture is not necessary for. Um, Then we're going to look at what Scripture is necessary for. And then lastly, we'll look at the practical implications of the necessity of Scripture, meaning if this is needed and we know what it's needed for, how should that shape the way I live my life every single day uh, and my interactions with this book every single day? So we're going to start kind of with a negative. um, What Scripture is not necessary for. Um, meaning there's some things in life that you don't need this book for. All right Now what we're going to find out is that the, the most important things in life you do need this book for, but there are some things you don't need it for. And that's not to say it can't still be used for, but it's not needed for. And Scripture actually is what tells us this. Um, Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 1 verses 16 through 25. We're going to be there for a few minutes if you want to turn there. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. This is right as he's starting this, right as he's starting his letter. It's in chapter 1. He's pretty much only given his greeting and then a few other words of encouragement. And then in verse 16, he, he, he shares this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, First to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen." Now, essentially, the breakdown of this passage is in two parts. Um, Paul starts off uh, Romans 1.16, one of his most famous verses, where he says, For I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the salvation of those who believe. Right? He makes that big statement, essentially saying that, that the word of God is the power of salvation. Right? This word is, in it you'll find salvation, and you'll find salvation for all people, right? for Jews and Gentiles, which in their day, essentially just meant for everybody, right? The, the God's original promised, chosen people to bring about uh, Jesus and ultimately the gospel, but also the rest of the world, right? And so he starts off by saying that this book offers salvation to all people. And then he shares with us why, which is the second part. And he says, he starts off um, by saying that, that all people know God exists because God has made his existence evident. And he says not through the Word, although he does make it evident through the Word, but here he says through creation, through that which has been created. Um, And he goes on to then say not only do we know that God exists from creation, you know, that which is separate from Scripture, um, but also we know our own sinfulness, right? He then talks about their sinfulness. And so the reason why he's addressing the, the significance of Scripture and the power of salvation that it contains Uh, for for all people is because all people have known God and sinned against God. And so that kind of gives our two two points or two answers to the question, what is the Bible or what is God's word not needed for? Well, here we see that it's not necessary to know that God exists, right? And let me just kind of pause and clarify. It doesn't mean that God's word is not useful and even perhaps the the best way to know that God exists, and it teaches and tells us that God exists, but we can also know that God exists apart from Scripture, which just means it is not needed, right? it's, It's useful, and we see it, and it's powerful, but not needed. Listen again to what he says in verses 19 through 20. He says, What can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them, for His invisible attributes, that is, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood, that, being understood through what He has made. As a result, people are without excuse. And this is confirmed in, in and all, through, all throughout Scripture beyond just this passage. Psalm 19:1 is a famous verse. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of His hands. So, so all that God created is exclaiming and proclaiming that, that God exists, that there is a God that exists, who created all things. All right, let me, let me give a practical example of how this works. Um, for those of you who are interested in apologetics, um, there's a lot of ways of thinking and reasoning and looking at the world to show and demonstrate, not necessarily prove, but to show and demonstrate um, God's existence. Uh, One of my favorite arguments for the existence of God in an apologetic light is called the cosmological argument. It essentially goes like this. What created everything? And for Christians, right, the only logical thought, or really for anybody, what the only logical thought should lead us to is something that existed beyond that which has already been created, right? People who believe in the Big Bang will say that uh, something came out of nothing, Right? What Christians say is that, is that something came out of something, and that something originally was God. Right? And so if you backtrack creation enough, you, you ask yourself what existed before anything else existed, right? which leads you to logically conclude that there must have been something beyond what we have here now. Uh, Frank Turek, who's an apologist, kind of points it out this way. He uses this argument of this idea that because there is creation, it implies that there was something that created creation, And he uses it to point out uh, the attributes of God, and he does this without using Scripture. So he points out that that whatever this being is that must have created everything beyond creation must have been spaceless, timeless, and immaterial because space, time, and matter were created. Therefore, the cause must transcend space, time, and matter. This being must also be self-existent and fully infinite because a timeless being has no beginning and could not have been caused by another. Right? It must be simple because an infinite being can't have parts, right? A being with parts would imply assembly by another. Right? Or it must also be personal in order to choose to create, since an impersonal force has no capacity to choose. Random uh, matter couldn't just decide to create something else. And so this being whatever it must be must be personal. It must also be powerful, given that it created everything out of nothing. And lastly, must be intelligent because of the design and complexity of the universe. And so if you look at those attributes, which you can gather simply using logic and reason, and I wish we could go so much deeper into it, you can see that whatever created the universe, right, we're not calling it God necessarily, but whatever created the universe must have been timeless, spaceless, immaterial, self-existent, infinite, simple, personal, powerful, and intelligent, And if you take all those attributes and put them together, it describes the Christian God. Right? So that's just one way that we can see that that God's world, his creation, speaks to his own existence. Right? You can just look at all of the things he's created. You can use your own logic and reason, which he has given and provided, and it will lead you to the conclusion that a God must have existed, the way that our text says it is fully divine and eternal is what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. And so you can see the scripture's not necessary to know that a God exists, which is why we're held without excuse if we've never heard the word, which is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1. But the second thing we see scripture is not necessary for is to know our own sin, meaning you don't have to have this book to know that you're a sinner, right? So you don't have to have this book to know that a God exists, but you also don't have to know this, have this book to know that you are a sinner, right? And, and I'm, not, I'm going to kind of skip over this argument, but if you're interested, there's a, it's called the morality argument, the apologetic argument against morality. Basically, where did good and evil come from, right? And if you backtrack it enough, you're kind of forced into to, to the reality that it must have come from something that is perfectly good, a standard, an objective standard beyond ourselves that determines good from evil, Right? But the thing I do want to focus on is that all people, whether they're Christians or not, already know that. Right? You don't have to tell people or convince somebody they've done something bad. Right? You can ask anybody if they've done something bad, and they would say yes. Right? And if they said no, then they'd be lying, therefore having done something bad. Right, So you can see that, again, and this is exactly what Paul is trying to say, is that, that God's creation speaks to the existence of God in our own inward understanding of our sinfulness speaks to our rebellion against that God. Meaning before we even pick this book up, whether we could put it into words or not, we know that there is some some imbalance going on as we live under the creation of a perfect God whom we must recognize exists by living in his creation, but also knowing that we've done bad things amidst his creation. Which, as Paul says, leaves us then, leaves all people then, without excuse. Meaning, the question, or the answer to the common question, what happens to people who never hear the Bible, they're still held accountable. Right? Because scripture says that they, God has revealed himself through creation and their sinfulness through, through the own innate ways that our heart just knows that we've wronged him. And so scripture's not necessary to know that God exists, and it's not necessary to know our own sinfulness. And again, let me just clarify. Just because, it's not, because we're saying it's not necessary doesn't mean that um, it's not helpful, or even the best way to know that God exists and to know our sinfulness, right? When you read this, the two things it should always do is tell you more about who God is and more about your own sinfulness. Um, and so this book does do those things, but Scripture is telling us here that, that we can also know those things apart from Scripture. So That then leads us to the question of what is this book necessary for? Because if all today is saying that Scripture is necessary, what is it necessary for? And again, let me give our main point because it's really answered in two parts and our main point. Only by God's word can the non-believer know salvation and the believer live it out and do so with absolute clarity. And so the two things that Scripture is necessary for are, one, for salvation among the lost, and two, holy living among the found. Right? Meaning you cannot find salvation apart from God's word, and you cannot live the way God's asking you to live as a Christian apart from this word. It is literally impossible to be done. That's what we mean when we say necessary let me turn again to scripture further down in romans chapter 10 verses 8 through 17 paul says it this way he's on the contrary what does it say the message is near you in your mouth and in your heart this is the message of faith that we proclaim or the word of faith that we proclaim if you confess With your mouth, Romans 10, 9, famous verse. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it says one believes with his heart, resulting in righteousness. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, and listen to the beauty of this, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, right? They're both held accountable the same, like we just saw in Romans chapter 1. It says, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. And again, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then look at the logic that Paul uses afterwards. He says, well, how then can they call on him they've not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ, or the word about Christ. And so Scripture, we can see from this passage, Scripture is necessary for salvation. You can know you're lost without Scripture, but you can't be found without Scripture. That's why it's needed. Look at the implications from the text above. One, it says you must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Two, you can only call upon his name if you believe in him. Three, you can't believe in him if you haven't heard about him. And then fourth, you can't hear of him unless someone tells you, specifically tells you the message about Christ, or the word about Christ. Therefore, saving faith comes from hearing the gospel message and this hearing of the gospel message comes about through the word of Christ. So without hearing the preaching of the gospel, no one can be saved. And we see this all throughout scripture. This isn't just some obscure passage in Romans chapter 10. John 3.18, anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, given to people by which we must be saved. First Timothy 2, 5-6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom of all, a testimony at the proper time. And Jesus himself says in John fourteen six. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father except through me. Right? It is impossible apart from Jesus. Jesus, the, the word that became flesh, is necessary to have heard in order to be saved. So again, you cannot be saved apart from the Word. It was and is necessary for salvation. But it's not just necessary for salvation. It is also necessary for how you live once you're saved, how you work out that salvation, Paul says. And here's why this part is so important: is the Christian life. Once you surrender your life to Christ, once you've understood the, the, the beauty of the gospel, the Word, uh, and, and what the Word, who became flesh, did for us by dying on the cross, and you've accepted and believed that, and you've now been saved, we're now kind of in a dilemma as Christians. And, and the dilemma is that we've now been made new. Scripture says we're a new creation. Yet we're living in the same context, in the same environment, under the same circumstances that we were living prior. Awaiting this joy that we know is coming, yet still being asked to interact with the broken and sinful world. And so, so and on our own, we can't do that, right? We're kind of in this middle ground of waiting that we have no capacity on our own to navigate. And so we see that the Bible then teaches us how we ought to live. Matthew 4:4, 4, 4, he answered, It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on what? On every word that comes from the mouth of God, that sustains our living, right? The words that come from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 32, 47, for they are not meaningless words to you, but they are your life. And by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess, right? Not just that they give you life, but that they are your life and that you will live by these words, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify means to be made holy, which is what the rest of our life is for after we've surrendered our life to Jesus, is being made more and more like him. The image that we were originally created in becoming more and more noticeable in our life while we live here for the purpose of participating in God's mission to lead other people to know the same Jesus that we know. You can't do it apart from his word. You can't obediently follow God and live your life totally for him apart from his word. It is 100% necessary in order to live like Jesus. I want to invite the worship team to come back up because I want to transition to the shortest part of the message um, but the most important part. Because so far we've talked, so far what we've said about the necessity of scriptures, we've mentioned what's not necessary for. Uh, and I'm going to talk about why that's so important in just a second, which is it's not necessary to know that a God exists, specifically the God of the Bible. It's not necessary to know that you're a sinner. It is necessary to find salvation and it is necessary to live as one saved. But what does that all mean for us here today? Right, maybe you're in here and you're already a Christian, right, and you already read your Bible. Um, Or maybe you're in here and you're not. Um, But what do we do with this knowledge, with this belief that this word is completely necessary? Meaning, without it, you can't find life, and you can't sustain the life you've found either. And the simplicity of the practical applications, there's only two. There's really only two. One, read the word. We've got to read it. Church, if this is necessary, if this is the very source of life, then we've got to read it. I think of so many things in our life that we value so highly. None of them offer life. Not one. This is not just something that offers life. This is the only thing that offers life. And I'm not saying it's bad to prioritize time with your family, time with your job, time uh, with a hobby or any of those things, but not a single one of those things can offer the, the, even the tiniest, tiniest inkling of life. Right? Only Scripture offers life. Right? And so if you're here this morning and, and you don't know the life that Scripture's offering, you've never surrendered your life to it, finding new life in it, My prayer is that you would, as Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you can't call on him if you don't believe in him. And you can't believe on him, believe in him if you haven't heard him. And I think maybe there's some of you here who haven't heard, or you have heard, you just haven't believed. And my prayer and hope for you is that you would believe. You would call upon his name this morning and surrender. Because as of today, you have heard, as we've declared what Christ has done for us this morning. But not just, again, do we read it to find salvation, we also read it to sustain our salvation, to to play out our salvation in our day-to-day life. Because, again, all those things I mentioned a moment ago, workplace, family, hobbies, whatever it might be, right? Again, it's not that they're unimportant, it's that this book, gives life to those things so if we're doing those things and prioritizing those things apart from here we're missing the point right only in this will we find life in all those other things and so we must church read the word and it's crazy how and I'm so guilty of it I'm I'm so guilty so this is not me preaching condemnation over us this morning but I'm guilty of Feeling like this is a chore right or waking up and I'm just tired and I just kind of want to sleep in another 45 minutes instead right or I'm guilty of you know prioritizing a a sporting event or or being able to memorize a, a, a sports statistic as opposed to a bible verse and why is that I think it goes back to the fact that we don't understand how needed it is because if we did then we would let all those other things go and we would read this as if our life depended on it because it does but that's just the first practical implication is reading it and if you're not sure where to start or you need help as you're doing it um, please come find myself that's really part of the purpose of church is that we would do that together But the second practical implication is that we must share the word. I want you to think about the fact and I want to go back to to why I spent so much time talking about what this is not needed for. You realize there are roughly 4 billion people in the world um, that don't have access to this. I don't just mean they couldn't Google it. I mean they, they literally have no access. It's not in their language. They don't They live in a context where they don't have internet, where they could Google something anyway, but they have zero access to this book. And I think for some reason, we try to convince ourselves that, well, surely a good God is not gonna send people who have never heard of him to hell. But that is not at all what scripture teaches because scripture tells us that they are accountable to God because God's whole creation testifies to his existence. And the inwardness of their own sinful broken hearts testifies to their badness against the good God. And so they're guilty. They're guilty without knowing this book, which means that if they don't know this book, there is zero hope for those people. Church, do you realize that over 6,000 people in our world have died since we started our service this morning, 6,000 people. That's specifically, that's six, 6,000 people. That number is not, not total. That's specifically people that have never even had access to the gospel, 6,000 every hour. And if we don't share, they can't know And so we don't just read it as if our life depended on it. We share it as if the lives of others depended on it. here's the thing is there's not just thousands of people globally that are dying. There are people in our communities that are dying, not knowing, living right next to us, having no idea. And they're guilty. And if we don't share, they can't know. And so we Read like our life depended on it. We share like their life depended on it. Because this book is completely and totally necessary for salvation and for holy living. So I want to do is I want to maybe conclude a little bit different than normal. We're going to do our normal invitation time. Um, and if you've never received this as true and for the power of salvation that it is, I'm going to be at the front and I invite you to come respond. And if you have, my ask for this time of invitation is that you would let your heart burden for those that don't know. And that you let your heart burden for the amount of people that don't know. And I think the reason that's good is because it motivates us to action. The only reason we're still here is for the purpose of sharing this book because our eternity has already been set. God's just saying, he's not done with us yet. And so I'm going to challenge you to think about people in your families, in your workplaces, neighbors that live next door to you, people you know that don't know, or people that you don't know whether or not they know, that we would embrace the necessity of this book as the only method, only way to salvation, and we would read it and we would share it. So I'm going to pray, and I invite you to respond as we close in song.